Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Donald Trump responds to his indictment with a grievance-filled speech at his Palm Beach club. MAGA world rallies around the indicted president in Florida and beyond. And California Governor Gavin Newsom swipes at Florida's governor during a stop in Sarasota. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns and Palm Beach Post politics reporter Stephanie Matat. But first... know what that music means it's time for some numbers uh stephanie thanks uh, for joining the show again this week looking forward to talking to you did you bring a number for us today yes i did and i brought the number three okay uh, how about you antonio i'm going with 100 this week and i am right in the middle with uh 59 remember those numbers folks we'll tell you what they mean in florida politics at the end of the show Well, Tuesday gave us one of the most astonishing scenes in American history as former President Donald Trump appeared in a New York courtroom to face 34 felony charges of falsifying business records in a case related to hush money payments to an adult film star on the eve of the 2016 election. After being arraigned, Trump flew home to Palm Beach, where he gave a speech to his Mar-a-Lago club that criticized all of the ongoing investigations into his conduct. Antonio, you wrote that the judge in Trump's case told him not to use incendiary language, but his speech on Wednesday was pretty flammable. What stuck out to you? Yeah, Zach, well, you know what? I think here on the Inside Florida Politics podcast, uh, we need a Trump insult meter. So we can probably rank and grade his nicknames and attacks because, for example, Trump on Tuesday called Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, quote, unquote, a criminal. But then uh, a couple of weeks before that, he had called him, quote, unquote, an animal. So which is worse? He also kept denigrating the U.S. justice system, saying it is, quote, unquote, lawless. Okay, but last month he warned of death and destruction if he were to be arrested. So, again, which is worse? Look, in all seriousness, we talked to legal experts and criminal defense lawyers, and the one thing they pointed out to us as, as they say would be especially troublesome would be if Trump attacked the presiding judge. In this case, that would be New York Judge Juan Merchan. Well, the former president called Merchan a, quote unquote, Trump-hating judge, and he said the judge's wife is also a Trump hater. And for good measure, he said the judge's daughter is on Vice President Kamala Harris's payroll. And uh, some of the Trump family and supporters were sharing pictures of the judge's daughter on social media as this indictment was happening. Yeah. So if it is concerning that a defendant verbally goes after a judge, what does it say that he also goes after the judge's wife and daughter? But, but wait, you know, Trump wasn't done with Judge Marchand because it turns out the judge also presided over the Trump organization case last year, the, the criminal charges over business fraud. And Trump said Merchan's handling of that case, especially the sentencing of former Trump organization CFO Alan Weisselberg, was straight out of the, quote unquote, old Soviet Union. Look, all of this legal experts told us could be employed by Trump to force the judge to recuse himself. And then maybe Trump gets a friendlier jurist. But it could also be Trump just being Trump. The former president learned from the Mueller report that prosecutors and legal eagles have their hands tied. They don't talk publicly about their cases. That leaves a huge void in the court of public opinion for Trump to shape the narrative to his favor. And you know what? Polls say a plurality from between 42% and 45% of those polled say he should be charged. But that means anywhere from 58% to 55% either say, no, he shouldn't, or they don't know, 
And that's the population that Trump may be playing to. And Antonio, we all know that Trump only has one mode when he is in a tough situation, and that is to attack, 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 attack. And it's worked for him so far. So why would he change tactics, right? Yeah, except, you know, one of the I was talking to a former federal prosecutor who now does uh, criminal law down here. And one of the things that we were talking about was, if you recall, back in 1998, uh, Bill Clinton and the Lewinsky scandal right before and, and in that investigation, which also had a special counsel uh, that was uh, Ken Starr's investigation, uh, Clinton was caught lying in a deposition, which is perjury. And we, we talked about the fact that right before Clinton left the Oval Office in January of 2001, he cut a deal with the special prosecutor's office to basically, you know, uh, make it all go away. He, I think he paid a fine, maybe a temporary suspension of his law license, a couple other pe penalties that he, he agreed to, in which case and in which the whole case and the entire perjury case that was waiting for him once he left the presidency, that all went away. So the question is, you know, could Trump, could he have, if he hadn't been so combative, this is one that perhaps he might have been able to cut a deal also leaving the presidency. Because remember, he was individual one in the original Michael Cohen indictment way back five years ago. So maybe a little, maybe less combative. He may have made, made this whole thing just go away very quietly, and we would have been spared the spectacle that we saw on Tuesday. Yeah, it, that's a good point. And he obviously seems to be worried about all of these uh, investigations that are closing in on him. You, you don't just have this uh, investigation into the hush money payments, but you also have the Georgia election investigation where he's accused of trying to influence the uh, vote count uh, in Georgia. You also have the uh, what Trump's calls the uh, the boxes case or what did, what did he call it in his speech? Uh, the, the hoax box case. Yeah, the hoax boxes case, um, which uh, are all reaching critical points. There's There's been developments in all of these cases this week. And so he didn't just fire at Bragg in his speech at Mar-a-Lago. He was really going on a tear about all of these. And, and some of them seem to be uh, in his head uh, even maybe more than this um, than this case uh, in New York. And, and it's all kind of coming to a boiling point here over the next uh, few months. So uh, there could be a lot more of this uh, in the future. Well, Trump's indictment has fired up his base, including around his Palm Beach home, where supporters have lined the streets and packed into Mar-a-Lago to hear him speak this week. It was like MAGA prom at Mar-a-Lago for Trump's speech with everyone from Matt Gates to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Trump's kids in attendance. Stephanie, I know you've been covering all the action around the town lately. How is MAGA world responding to this indictment? Well, this week um, on Monday, we saw hundreds of Trump's supporters along Southern Boulevard from Mar-a-Lago over to the airport, waving flags and wearing MAGA gear along the sidewalks. And and when I spoke to many of these people, you know, they were following what Trump was saying by calling it a political witch hunt. And and they they largely believe that it is politically motivated by Democrats. So uh, attending this were people of all ages. You know, they said they'd support Trump more than ever instead of leaving him at this time. And, and if anything, they sympathized with him and said that you know, he's gone through too much and has been through so many investigations. And, and that, so they sympathize with them. But others even pointed out they were worried about whether politically motivated investigations could happen to them. So they wanted to support Trump to go against that idea. But 
you know, in Mar-a-Lago, you're right. We did see popular names like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Carrie Lake, who did get some applause. Uh, Mike Lindell, the my pillow guy, and Matt Gates. You know, in the ballroom, when I spoke to people, they were reiterating that same topic of political witch hunts. Um, I even talked to Trump spokesman Stephen Chung, who was saying that the DA's office was going after Trump, and and he described it as well as a political witch hunt. And uh, Chung even said that this was an attempt to. In, he believed it was an attempt to interfere with Trump's campaign for 2024. So, so. That is kind of, from what I've gathered from speaking from people, the large belief that not only do they reiterate Trump's statements of political witch hunts, but they also do believe that this is an attempt to interfere with the election. And, and what do you think, Stephanie? I mean, we, we've seen pretty uh, sizable crowds uh, in Palm Beach, uh, you know, this week and, and in New York City uh, outside of the courtroom where Trump uh, was was uh, being arraigned. Marjorie Taylor Greene was up there for a demonstration, and you had a lot of uh, Trump supporters, MAGA types in, in the streets. But nationally, we haven't really seen big demonstrations. We haven't really seen you know MAGA people pouring into the streets. Uh, there was a few demonstrations around Florida, from my understanding, over the weekend. But these concerns that have been raised by some that there could be violence on the level of January 6th, we, we haven't uh, seen anything like that. And we haven't really seen sort of mass uh, demonstrations, but we have seen Trump's numbers go up in the polls. So I guess people uh, don't necessarily feel like they, they have to be out in the streets about this. But, but do you think that MAGA is really rallying around Trump right now? I do think that MAGA is rallying around Trump right now, mainly because what we've seen in the past few months was, including in, on the anniversary of January 6th, we saw there was only a few people in these significant events um, who were waving their flags in Mar-a-Lago, who were at attending major events. Uh, we had a rally for Trump, I believe, in Miami, where there were you know, nearly around 1,000 people, but that's pretty low numbers for, um, for Trump. So what I do see is that this week we saw hundreds of people along Southern Boulevard. That was a lot more people than we've seen in the past. So I I do see that supporters are coming out. A lot more people who I haven't seen before are coming in. And, you know, I met even new people since most of the time it's it's the same people that I'm seeing waving their flags. Um, this time I saw new faces. This time I saw people from the different groups around Palm Beach County and South Florida who were rallying together. Um, and, you know, there were mass flyers, text blasts sent out for these people to come as well. Well, that's pretty interesting. Well, while the world was watching Trump this week, California Governor Gavin Newsom made a surprise visit to Florida to argue that Trump's legal problems are a distraction and that more pressing issues are happening in red states where conservative leaders are rolling back what he described described as 50 years of progress on everything from abortion rights to voting rights and LGBTQ rights. To make his point, Newsom visited with students at New College of Florida, which DeSantis has targeted for a conservative takeover. Antonio, DeSantis and Newsom love to use each other as foils. What do you think of the latest episode in their little ongoing feud that they have? Well, it looks like uh, deja vu all over again. You know, if you recall back uh, around July 4th, they, you, know, you had Newsom with that ad taking aim at DeSantis. But you know, this one is really, really intriguing because uh, first of all, it took place here in Florida. Uh, Newsom came to your area to meet with New College of Florida students and talk smack at DeSantis. Now, 
Of course, Newsom is, has been mentioned as a potential White House aspirant at some point on the Democratic side of the aisle. Uh, so there's that, meaning maybe he's doing some preseason sparring with DeSantis, who also has presidential ambitions, to try to, get, uh, try to you know, sort of measure him out here. But it also comes at, at a renewed time of a Democratic Party fervor. You know, the, the Democrats in Florida got walloped last November. You know, their their voter registrations are just not going in their favor. They're, this is a deep, this is a reddening state. So, but we've also seen in that the, the party under new chair Nikki Freed you know, is becoming more vocal and speaking out on a daily basis with missives and other communications and. Of course, a couple of months ago, right after the State of the Union address, President Biden came to Tampa armed with plenty of copies of Florida Senator Rick Scott's plan to sunset all federal programs, including Medicare and Social Security. And Biden basically posterized Scott here in his own state. So now we have Newsom coming to Southwest Florida to make the DeSantis a straw man. Look, this is an effective strategy overall. I mean, how do you fundraise in politics? Well, you create a boogeyman. You know, how do you galvanize your rank and file? Well, you create a boogeyman. How do you get nightly news airtime? Show up in the uh, boogeyman's backyard and and show him up, and you know the audience loves that. So Florida doesn't have just have one far right figure; it's got two with DeSantis and Trump. So you got you got your you know your two to choose from. The flip side of being a far right media darling is that you give your foes fodder to raise donations, name recognition, and fervor. And the political right, by the way, did that with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York and the squad. So Newsom and other Democrats appear to be following that playbook, and, and Newsom seems to have picked DeSantis. Yeah, you're right. I think these two are sort of perfect political foils for each other. They're almost polar opposites uh, in their politics. And I think it serves both of them to sort of be jabbing at each other and to use each other to try and get attention and to get in the media and to stay in the spotlight. The uh, Newsom, when he was here in Sarasota, I got a chance to talk to him a little bit after his event. And uh, I asked him straight up, you know, are you running for president? What is this all about? Why are you here uh, getting attention, jabbing at DeSantis? And he said, no, no, I'm just trying to meet the moment and push back against what I see as as really just uh, an incredible uh, rolling back of, of our rights. And, and he said that he doesn't think that um, there's been enough focus on what's happening in Florida and other red states, which are really putting aggressive restrictions on abortion and pushing through some of these education laws aimed at LGBT TQ individuals. So he said this is really more about just trying to, uh, you know, kind of push uh, back on something that he is ideologically very opposed to. But I, I'm not sure that, that that I completely buy that argument. It, it does seem like he's sort of trying to stay in the spotlight that who really knows what will happen with Biden. Uh, you know, if, if he, he it does seem like he's going to run for for president uh, for reelection. But if not, it, it makes sense for, for Newsom to position himself. And he likely would be uh, a front runner in the race if Biden uh, were to bow out. And, and who knows? I mean, he could position himself to to be in a Biden administration. Newsom is uh, term limited. But I think just sort of jabbing it at DeSantis and, and uh, 
kind of keeping himself in the spotlight. DeSantis is 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 obviously a big figure, and Newsom uh, every time that he kind of goes after him, he gets headlines. So it sort of uh, keeps him uh, relevant and and lets people know that he's out there fighting uh, for what uh, liberals believe in. We'll move on to some numbers here. Uh, Stephanie, you want to tell us about yours? Yes. Yeah, so I chose number three because this week we saw that three Florida politicians were arrested. This includes um, the former president, Donald Trump, but it also includes the Democratic Party chair, Nikki Freed, and Senate minority leader, Lauren Book. Um, We saw that after the six-week abortion ban had passed the Senate in the Florida legislature, there were protests outside um, City Hall protesting this measure. So um, Tallahassee police said that they warned them throughout the day that they had to go. And in the evening, most people had left. There were still some people there, um, including Book and Freed, who were arrested for trespass after warning. Um, so I, that, that's what I wanted to point out. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Uh, you know, everybody's focused on Trump, but there was two other uh, prominent Floridians who were arrested this week. It, it was that was fascinating. I, I think that that helps the Democrats in a way. It, it's uh, it's kind of a more of a feisty sign of life than we've seen from them than than anything in the last uh, few years really and and to uh to get arrested for uh, protesting something that many Democrats are just fervently against uh, I, I'm not sure that that doesn't help uh, cut in their favor politically um Antonio you want to tell us about your number yeah Zach I, I had 100 as in the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company I was in Southern California last week and actually ventured to Disneyland the, the company's original theme park that predated Walt Disney World by about two decades. And while there, it got me thinking about this whole Disney-DeSantis feud. You know, Governor DeSantis likes to say there's a new sheriff in town in relation to his crackdown on woke companies like Disney. But right now, Disney has a new sheriff too. His name is Bob Iger. And unlike his predecessor, CEO Iger is a formidable corporate rival to DeSantis. In fact, no sooner did Iger return to the corner office and he and Disney had outmaneuvered and embarrassed the governor by cutting deals with outgoing directors of the old Reedy Creek District to give the company complete control of the Orlando theme park kingdom, thwarting the will of DeSantis and his allies in the legislature, as they said. And this week, Iger kept up the pressure, saying that DeSantis and Florida lawmakers' actions against Disney are pure pure political retribution that he said is anti-business and anti-Florida. Now, DeSantis is returning fire against the Disney company. He went back at you by calling for a state inspector general investigation of the former board members' actions. And he got support from Marvel Entertainment executive Isaac Perlmutter, who, by the way, is a Palm Beach and Mar-a-Lago member and big-time Disney shareholder, who told DeSantis he's right about collaring Disney. But as I walked through that Disneyland last week, it struck me the governor is fighting a 100-year-old company that only happens to be the most recognizable, or arguably the most recognizable brand on the planet. And that has a market capitalization of $182 billion and around $90 billion in annual revenue. In Florida, as you noted in your stories and your coverage, Zach, Disney plans another $17 billion worth of investments in the next decade. and will add another 13,000 jobs to the roughly 75,000 here right now. Is a company with a worldwide reach, disparate interest, and a veteran seasoned chief executive who is not about to let the governor push his company around. If DeSantis wants to escalate the war with with Disney, that's his call. But right now, let me point out, he is getting bombarded by Trump, 
who's pounding him mercilessly as a former president firmly established himself as the alpha male in the GOP. In the process, Trump is exposing dissentism, inability to properly respond. Trust me on this. Iger and Disney, they've taken notice. So in hitting back at Disney, DeSantis risked another beatdown by the corporate alpha male at a time when he is being hammered by Trump. But hey, Governor, you do you, bro. Yeah, I think this is a pretty important story, Antonio. It kind of got overshadowed by all the Trump indictment news. But for Disney to outmaneuver DeSantis and basically take away this authority that he tried to exert over them with this uh, special session that he called and the law that he passed to reconfigure this board that oversees Disney's properties in Central Florida. And then Disney did this uh, restrictive covenants and basically transferred uh, all the authority away from this board. Uh, it, it was a pretty uh, bold move by Disney and the DeSantis team got caught, it seems, uh, unaware and 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 really uh, was surprised by this to, to a big degree. And it takes away a major talking point for DeSantis about how he brought this woke company to heal. Uh, this seemed like something that DeSantis was really going to emphasize uh, in a presidential campaign. I mean, he has emphasized it in his reelection campaign. And now uh, Disney seems to have gotten the better of him. And, and you can tell that they were really upset by it because they came back just a few days later and said, oh, we're going to have the inspector general investigate you. Uh, but you shouldn't be having to do that if you were, had all your, um, you know, your eyes dotted and your your T's crossed. And, and they obviously did not. Uh, and so it, I, it seems like this is just another setback for DeSantis, who has uh, had a few of them lately after seeming to be really riding high after his reelection and and looking like a pretty strong challenger to Trump now he's had some stumbles and he's slipping in the polls and i think this this disney episode just sort of adds to the narrative that he has uh, taken a step backward here well my number is 59 as in 59% of florida voters approve of the job Governor Ron DeSantis is doing. So uh, whatever step back he has taken, it doesn't seem like he's taken a big one in Florida. In fact, he seems to be uh, taking even uh, more steps forward, even after winning an election by just a, a overwhelming margin of victory. Uh, the 59 percent approval rating is according to a Mason-Dixon poll that was released this week. The poll also found DeSantis beating Trump and Florida in a head-to-head -head primary matchup. DeSantis, as I said, has been sliding in the polls nationally as GOP voters rally around Trump after his indictment, but he's still in a very, very, very strong position here in Florida. And it's a good sign for the governor when the voters who know him best like him a lot. You know, as more Republican voters get to know DeSantis nationally, maybe they'll also like what they see. DeSantis is 59 percent approval rating is close to the record high approval rating of 62% that the governor had in 2019 when he was really making a lot of nods towards bipartisanship with um proposals uh, you know environmentally friendly proposals uh, allowing people to smoke medical marijuana he was really pushing a lot of bipartisan moves and that really drove up his approval rating now DeSantis is viewed as much much more partisan in his approach but Florida voters still like what they see, which is interesting. That may be a sign 
of how Florida is changing and maybe uh, becoming more of a red state. DeSantis has been pushing some very, very conservative measures on guns, abortion, and other issues, and his approval rating is still near a record high. You know, Democrats, they might be furious as the governor advances things like a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, but it doesn't seem to be hurting the governor with the majority of Florida voters when he's at 59% approval. Whether that approach translates into support at a national level, though, really remains to be seen. DeSantis's policies aren't as popular in many swing states. Right now, he seems much more focused on winning a Republican primary against Trump, but a general election would really test how much this hard right approach resonates outside of Florida. That wraps up our latest episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.